Hello, everybody. This is Joshua Hatton with the One Nation <laughs> Under Whiskey Podcast. <laughs> I'm joined today, and I'm joined as always, <laughs> and especially on, on the season eight opener of our podcast, One Nation Under Whiskey. I'm joined by the inimitable White Walker, Jason Neal, Patrick Harris, Johnston, Helen. Uh, thank you. Thank you. What a what a place to be. What a time to be alive. Mm-hmm. What a world to inhabit. So here we are, February twenty one, or for our what a day for our international listeners, twenty uh, first February of twenty twenty four. And so far this year, Jason, we made an announcement that Single Cast Nation has joined the Artisanal Spirits Company family. Huge, absolute huge move for us. And in the right Indeed. move, I think we'd both argue oh, vehemently. 100%. Right? 100%. And then, and then you fast forward from January into February, <laughs> and you go to... You don't really get your thumb on that button very long before you get from January to February. Well, you got like to ride a, that. You got to ride that high, right? It's a fast, fast forward. It is a fast forward. <laughs> you go to ludicrous speed. And, uh, and we get to, listen to this, Jason, February 8th, <laughs> a.k.a. 8th of February, which is, in 2024, the 12-year anniversary of us actually selling things as an independent bottler. And on that day, at the World Whiskey Awards, it was announced that we had won Independent Bottler of the Year. We were announced as icons of whiskey. Yes. Icons. Well, I mean... I'm iconic. You are You're iconic. iconic. You're like That's... Britney Spears with the snake around her neck. <laughs> <laughs> um, what, what, what did you... Which February 8th did you pick for the starting of us selling things? February 8th, 2012 is when we launched oh. membership sales to Single Cast Nation. And then later that I... year, we began... Um, shipping bottles. And the reason why I remember it is I was working another job. This was before I was, you know, full cloth into the industry. And I was working another job and I was at a trade show. And I remember Mm. saying, um, I've got to use the bathroom. Can you guys watch the booth? (laughs) And us hopping on a call and just, you know, getting ready to hit live on our website. And yeah, it was, it was a momentous thing. Yeah. No, I, I remember the day very clearly. And I was I was in a one year rental hmm. uh, in Olala, Washington State, in a house that overlooked Puget Sound uh, or it's a, a little a sound within the sound, which hmm. was kind of kind of a pass, you may say. Okay. And uh, the house was phenomenal. OK, let me be clear. The view from the house was <laughs> phenomenal. <laughs> the house itself was highly questionable, but the view was yeah. was amazing. And actually, just the other day, I was looking over photos with the kids because my kids were, you know, what? Gosh, my eldest was two days away from turning five. Yeah, and my youngest was uh, three months away from turning two. Mm-hmm. So, you know, as as we were saying to our wives while we were. In Kentucky for the awards banquet, you know, we launched a company at a time when we had very small children, and our two wives were 
incredibly yes. supportive incredibly and supportive. made unbelievable sacrifices so that we could start doing what we did. <laughs> so, I, I'll, t- <sighs> I'll tell you though, there, there was one time, you know, at that time I had my, my day job where I was traveling a lot. I had the two kids like you did, uh, starting this company with you. And I also had a full-time band. And I just mm. remember Haida saying, something's got to give. And, you know, the, you know the, the scared person in me said, is she about to divorce me if I don't, like, make one of these things <laughs> That's all I away? hear. <laughs> Even 12 years later, that's all I hear. So. <laughs> but, but Noah, you, you made that point about the date when we were, when we were at the, the banquet or when we were celebrating afterwards. Mm-hmm. Like, that was incredible symmetry to have February 8 be, you know, 2024 to become an icon of of whiskey and have that perfectly reflect February 8 of 2012. So a 1 in 365 chance of pulling that off. Of course, this year was a 1 in 366 chance of pulling off. So even even more difficult. So with that in mind, and I know we need to get to our interviewees. I'm really excited for for our guests today. But but with that in mind, just to sort of at least close my portion of the loop in this conversation. You know, as a company, our our first partnership, our first distillery that said, A, we want to work with you, followed up by B, we want to be the first distillery you bottle whiskey from, Isle of Aaron. You know, I, I was thinking about what bottle to bring with me to the awards, should we win the award, and it was my bottle of uh, Aaron. It's the 15th anniversary bottling. They're 11-year-old from the Amontillado casks. I was very happy to see you pull that out on the night. <laughs> You're always happy when I when I whip that out. And I knew you could not resist. <laughs> Episode one of year eight, knew you couldn't resist. Isn't it all always to the penis with me? I think that's the first time <laughs> I've said that, Jason. <laughs> but But I thought, what a fitting bottle, right? It's an anniversary bottling from the distillery who wanted to work with us out the gate. Why not open that up on the 12th anniversary of of our company selling stuff? Yeah, well, and and the fact that our first tasting post-award was doing a history of SCN tasting at Jack Rose. Yeah. And Bill Thomas pulled out his bottles. And we had our very first Aaron in that, like, <laughs> that was a wonderful thing to return to as well. And, you know, to celebrate Aaron and Glenn Murray and Ben Riach. Mm-hmm. You know, gosh, even even Cooley got poured, which I is know. a bottle we get asked about a lot. Yep, yep. Even that got poured. So, yeah, yeah, my my offering, I, I really was happy to see that uh, Monteado Aaron from you. Uh, my offering was a bottle that, that Jess actually acquired for me and, and sent over, uh, which is an SMWS uh, called Muscovado Pipe Tobacco. Oh, yes. And uh, it comes from the Tobermory Distillery, 17 years old, and it spent some time in a former Lefroy cask, which Amazing. makes for a very tasty treat. Uh, yeah, very, very rich. Yep deliciously peaty smoky yep. and uh, 
goes down really easy at 57.4. So <laughs> um, I, I enjoyed cheering you and our wives and our families and our nation, but also our, our new you know, corporate I don't like saying owners. I think it. I think it sounds gauche. Uh, I like to say our new corporate friends. Okay. All right. Yeah, I like that better. <laughs> I, I was well. I was going to go with corporate partners, but friends sounds mm. that much more right. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. We had a very friendly time at the end of January with them oh, all. Man. So yeah, absolutely, absolutely brilliant. You know, being able, and and you know, our, our listeners are going to hear from two of the people that we hung out with. But being able Indeed. to spend time with with the folks at the vaults and just meeting the team, people could not have been nicer. At, we we joined the holiday party and and uh, one of the people there, a woman named Julie, dragged me onto the dance floor so I could do my first Kaylee dance, which was um, she was great. I was not so great, but you know. <laughs> Here we are. Now I was just thinking back to the fact that we actually got to celebrate Burns Night. At the vaults, and you and I got to have our vegetarian haggis, neeps, ah, and tatties. Yes. With a little whiskey cream sauce. That was so good. So good. It had been far too long since I'd enjoyed that. So that was ah, the whole thing. The whole thing was excellent. It's been an incredible start to 2024. Yep. We are, you know, here we are staring the last uh, week and a bit of February square in the face. Who the heck knows what March might bring, but January, February have been a rocking start. <laughs> and that so. was my point. Like, we're off. We're off to an amazing start. So let again. Let's let's see what happens. And hey, if nothing is monumental as as joining a a, a new corporation <laughs> and winning icons of whiskey, independent bottler of the year award, I'd be okay with that. <laughs> well, I, I can tease this. We'll circle back to this later in the episode, but we will have our first combined release uh, to show that we're still Jason and Joshua, we're still single cast nation, and we have the support of of Steve Hawley over here. We've obviously got Jess overseas, uh, and we've got ASC. It's yeah, it's great, really great. I feel like I'm really part of something that that's bigger than it's ever been. Yep, agreed. Jason, if you wouldn't mind, could you give our listeners a quick introduction to to our friends Kai Avalo and Ewan Campbell? Yeah, actually, I'd reached out to Petty, uh, who I've, I've talked about in the podcast, my, my very good Finnish friend and the reason I'm in whiskey at all. And I'd said to him, how would you pronounce I-V-A-L-O as a Finnish surname? And he, he sent me back a little voice recording, which was <laughs> magnificent. But he also made the point that Ivalo is the northernmost town in Finland. And Petty P. Reinen, a Finn, didn't know that it could be a last name. Oh, that's interesting. <laughs> well, what, what would prohibit it from being a last name, though? Like, Yeah, well, you're talking to somebody who's a Johnston, right? We have the town of Johnston in Scotland. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I, I am living that life. I've got the last um, name Hatton. But, you can't go through London without seeing the name Hatton everywhere. <laughs> but as a town? Yeah, Hatton Gardens. Oh, yeah, uh, named after a person. Yeah, named after a person. Well, either way, you're welcome. <laughs> no, the, the natural counter to that is, aren't most towns named after people? Maybe true, may not be. I don't have the stats in front of me. I don't have the data. 
But one of the aspects I wanted to point out as we lead into this interview mm-hmm. is Kai, at that holiday party that you were just referencing at the end of January in Edinburgh, Kai was celebrated for his 20 years with Scotch Malt Whiskey Society. Mm-hmm. And we've known Kai for a long time. We've, we've known of Kai sure. longer than that. Oh, yeah. And so to see him celebrated for 20 years was, was magnificent. And he's, he's done a lot of jobs uh, in his time with SMWS. But currently, uh, he, along with Ewan, uh, Ewan himself, no slouch, he's been with SMWS 15 years, he's one five. And he's brilliant. <laughs> they're both brilliant. But yeah. yeah they're, they're such both, good they're lads. Yeah, right. Right. And so they are, they are in charge of cask acquisition. They are in charge of stocks. They are in charge of whiskey creation. We get into that a little bit uh, in our interview. So I don't want to say too much here, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. I think it is it's well worth celebrating the longevity uh, which both are are able to celebrate uh, with SMWS, and we play around with that old whiskey industry c word a little bit in this conversation. All right, where we talk about consistency. Ah, consistency. Yes, and 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 the two of them are are absolutely in agreement with you and me, which is you want to be showing different sides to the whiskies that you're putting out. Mm-hmm. In, in different sides from what distilleries are putting out. But you want to be consistently good. You want to be consistently yes. well-received. And so I, I thought that was that was a nice part of this conversation as well and, and spoke to similar mindsets in the role they've got with SMWS and the role we've got with Single Cast Nation. Mm-hmm. So, so, you know, listen, let, let's go celebrate these two chaps in person, in this interview. And I think this is going to be one that listeners thoroughly enjoy. So here comes Ewan, here comes Kai. We're sitting here in the vaults. It is a wonderful Edinburgh day outside with dark clouds and bright sun and lots of rain. It's it's, uh, it's lovely to be home, even though I'm a West Coast guy. It's nice to be home uh, <laughs> as I sit here on the East Coast. Um, Ewan and Kai, you are stalwarts of... <laughs> Kai just raised his eyebrows in the first three seconds of our conversation. <laughs> Still <laughs> smiling. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you, you chaps have been here uh, for a good while. Could you... Give us and give the listeners a little bit of background on on when you started here and and even if there's a few glimpses into what you were doing before you started here. Kai, I know you've had a long, storied, illustrious, long, did I say long? Long career uh, in spirits. Tell tell us a bit more. Yeah, um, this is my 20th year at the Scotch Malt Whiskey Society, wow. so that's long enough, I guess. That's a good number. Um, I, before that, used to work in advertising, in marketing, um, but long-term whiskey enthusiast, which very much from my student days and beforehand in Aberdeen uh-huh. um, uh, as well, went back in the day in the late sort of middle-late 80s when, you know, there was only about three single malts uh, <laughs> available on a bar, uh, kind of thing, which is, which is difficult to 
to think about. Um, and I, I suppose my first encounter with the Scotch Malt Whiskey Society really was um, upstairs here, I think 1998. Uh, the agency I was working for uh, was pitching for the Macallan uh, uh, account. Yeah. Uh, okay. We camped up there for a couple of days for inspiration and mm. developing our pitch and what have you, and we won won the business um, uh, on the back of it. So. That was uh, a good first encounter with the vaults and the Scotch Malt Whiskey Society. Uh, and then fast forward 2004, decided I want a career change. Wanted to, I guess, in advertising, there was sort of a joke that you're milk- making a silk purse out of a sow's ear. Um, <laughs> and uh, I-, I wanted to go and work with a, a product that I really loved, uh, really believed in. Yeah. Um, uh, this opportunity came around and, and I joined. So originally started as sales and marketing director, um, uh, but got involved in things like the tasting panel quite early on. Um, uh, had a real interest in you know, getting to really understand uh, everything about the world of whiskey. Um, in 2010, uh, there was a bit of a restructuring going on and essentially I took over um, the, the whiskey side of things itself uh, as well, um, selection, bottling, uh, all the rest of it. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and really, I've had that since 2010 uh, that I've looked after. And uh, so, yeah, it was, you know, obviously through until 2015 when Scotchmore Whiskey Society became independent from um, Glenmorangie at that stage. And we started mm-hmm. the Artisanal Spirits Company, um, uh, was a director of that um, as well uh, for a few years. Um, and uh, And then really my role is now focused on whiskey and supply chain so essentially my responsibility is everything from right at the beginning sourcing mm-hmm. the liquid uh, the selection process uh, obviously working with you and on that side of things that he'll expand mm-hmm. on right through to bottles uh, that have been produced from our uh, supply chain site in Uddingston heading out the door to members in the UK or on pallets heading around the world. There you go I, yeah. I already have follow-up questions for you but let's, <laughs> let's get you in on wax uh, before I'll, I'll then pivot back to you, Kai. Yeah, so this is my 15th year here. Those are two great numbers. Uh, yeah, and uh, um, I'm 38 this year, so it's quite a lengthy stint of my maturation <laughs> has, has been at SMWS. Um, first got into whiskey in the early 2000s at university um, when I, I proudly had my uh, three supermarket malts on on my shelf in in the dorm Um, and I worked in a whiskey shop uh, between terms okay so you know surrounded by whiskey and whiskey books um, uh, for a lot of the week uh, in between those term (laughs) times um, and I really got the bug Um, in 2008 I took the chance to move up to Edinburgh wanted to, to live in Edinburgh and there was a job going at the vaults. Okay. Um, so I, I began working as a bar person uh, late 2008. It was just after we had a relaunch, actually. Um, the kind of the iconic green bottle that we use now just came out the, a couple of days before that. Okay, yeah. Um, so it was, all, it was all happening at the time. It was a wee bit of a, a baptism of fire as well. Um, after my first shift, I was asked if I'd like to go and sit on a tasting panel. <laughs> which was chaired by Charlie McLean. Um, I'm not sure if they really took into account my scores or my, or my opinions at that stage, but it was a great um, chance to kind of get to know how things worked in, in that sense. 
Um, yeah, and I've done lots of different jobs uh, for the company, whether it be involving, uh, you know, organising tastings around the UK. Um, and then in 2013, I joined Kai uh, at head office working in uh, the whiskey side of things. So uh, at that time, we were owned by Glenmorangie. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it was a slightly different landscape. We had... Um, all of their kind of procurement and supply chain and <laughs> bottling uh, helping us out. And in uh, 2015, when we left, all yep. of a sudden, you know, we, we had to kind of learn how to do all that our, ourselves. Um, and the day-to-day for for me will be, you know, Kai and I will be looking at strategy for what we need to buy. We'll be looking at existing stocks and wood strategy and how we want to develop the flavours that, that we've got coming up. And, you know, mm-hmm. we've got everything from zero to 50 year old casks in the warehouse um we've got ongoing panels every you know two every week or so um yeah samples coming in for whatever reason you're you might be testing out uh new cooperage you know testing samples at three six months so so there's never no two days are the same so so really my follow-up as much as we're going to pivot back to Kai just for some order, is really for both of you. So, so please do think about answering it after Kai as well. But we're 20 years for you, Kai, and 15 years for you, Ewan. What have you seen partly within whiskey circles? Because you're talking some really key years there, 2006, 2010, are, are years that really jump up in my imagination. We're talking about the changes in whiskey. So, so the changes that you are seeing there in your time uh, with the company. But then also I want to ask many more questions about what it was like having in-house bottling and then sourcing that but hold on to that thought so, so what have you seen over those 20 um, years with whiskey yeah I, I mean i think in in terms of whiskey itself obviously there's some obvious things like the rise of the new distilleries um mm. is probably the the big one and i guess the start of that from mm. my perspective was aaron um sure. uh, when i first came in we were we were bottling maybe five-year-old um, uh, Aaron casks and things like that, which yeah. were, and they were really interesting because um, uh, the, um, the the quality um, was was really very good right from the beginning, and I think you know they were a constant performer uh, at the tasting panel as well. Um, the other thing I would I would say as well, we we were just touching on this earlier on, is I think that the quality of whiskey mm, yeah. today is consistently better than it was yes. way back when 15 20 years ago um obviously you had fantastic whiskies then um and um you know quite different things available at the time uh, that were maybe not necessarily available uh, right now but there was there was inconsistency you would mm-hmm. also have some absolute howlers in amongst um uh, everything else so seeing that quality of um new make spirit um and wood selection uh, has really moved on, and you know you can see that in terms of the research that's taken place mm-hmm. in the last twenty years or twenty five years that you know a, a lot of um, whiskey companies have a- acted upon. So I think those are some of the, the the key things. And then in terms of the landscape, it's just ebbed and flowed as it it always does. You know there are things. Um, if I go back twenty years ago, there were legendary whiskies. Um, that were mm-hmm. still available uh, that you could get a hold of and you didn't really think twice about. Yeah. Um, you know that's changed. Those have those have gone, um, <laughs> but that's replaced by by different experiences and things that we get hold of mm-hmm. uh, today. And we've gone through some you know challenging periods of 
being able to source whiskies um, through to other periods where things have loosened up a little bit. Yeah. I'd say those were sort of some of the key observations on yeah. whiskey from me. Yeah, okay. I love it. Yeah. For just before we move on to you in here, for that consistency, there are some whiskey fans who profess to to not like the C word uh, of consistency. They liked the highest highs and, and then they understood there were lowest lows. Do you think whiskey as an industry is in a better position now with consistency? I would say so. So consistency actually is within SMWS is not a, is, is a word in terms of associated with quality. Mm-hmm. It's not about everything being the same yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. because that's yeah. clearly not what we're about. We're about variety mm-hmm. um, uh, as the core part of the whiskey proposition. So I'm, I'm talking about well-made spirit. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and I think it is, it is a good thing because, um, yeah, I mean, we had some you know, wonderful whiskies in the past that you'll think about and, and enjoy, but that, 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 that was hit or miss. Uh-huh. In, in some exactly. some instances as well, and that's yeah. you know that's not sustainable. You can't you know continue on that basis really. And you wonder too if the if the really good whiskies were really good because you had the context of the not so good ones to help them along. Yeah. yeah, if you've got something maturing for like forty years in a refill cask, I kind of hazard a guess the person that filled that cask did not know that it was going to be the great whiskey that it turned out mm-hmm. to be. Mm. So you kind of have to strike this balance between, you know, filling good quality wood and, and the knowledge that it will yield good quality spirit when maybe all you experienced was the best of the accidental mm-hmm. of, yeah. of the past, yeah. if that makes yeah. sense. Yeah, it does. Yep. Yep. Uh, so, so what have you seen over these 15 years? What kind of jumps out in your mind? Uh, I think it's the kind of the unpredictability. <laughs> it, it's it's always a, a, a an interesting ride to you know as Kai kind of alluded to it. Supply is very interesting, um, whether it's wood or spirit. Mm-hmm. You know, at the moment we're seeing uh, the price of bourbon barrels has gone absolutely yes, through the bonkers, roof. Yeah. Um, and we've been there before. Back in was it twenty fourteen something like that. Um, so yeah, they've they've kind of gone up massively in price recently, mm. but it's kind of you know swings and round roundabouts, peaks and troughs, <laughs> um, and it's a long game as well in terms of spirit supply. Um, some years you might get a distiller saying, "Sorry, we can't do anything," and you just you know that's fine. Let's chat next year, <laughs> and then the opportunity is there um, for one reason or another. So um, yeah, it's, we were chatting about this earlier today as well. It's just Trying to plan is a is a big challenge, but it's also really fun and interesting. And you have to adapt each year, you know, to to different fluctuations. So, yeah. I think one thing I would say though is that in terms of trading and the relationships and the people that you're dealing with, that that's a constant. Um, yeah, there are new people that will will, you know, will come to the party, but you um, you and said long game. You absolutely have to look at this in terms of what we're doing as a as a long game. Uh, I've had meetings in the last couple of days where, yeah, I haven't necessarily got what I wanted out of it, but it didn't matter because it was about <laughs> speaking to people, you know, making sure you got, you know, right. you have, you've had the conversation, you're, you know, you're top front of mind, uh, all of those things so that, you know, as and when the opportunity arises, they'll remember who you are and uh, <laughs> those kinds of things. So that that has remained a constant, you know, whether you know, times are good or bad in terms of availability. Well, 
And something that Joshua and I have always talked about where this industry is such an, an industry of personalities, of people, of relationships, as you're saying here. And one of the things for us being in America and coming over to Scotland and doing a week's business in Scotland, we were lining up meetings. We were you know, facing as many people as we could over the course of that week. And then you go back to America and, and yes, you still have Zooms or you know, I nearly said Skype or, or Microsoft Teams or what have you. Um, but it's not the same. It's not the same as just showing up in someone's office, having a coffee and, and catching up and discussing the industry. And so I, I love hearing that it is still an industry of people. And I, and I love that we get to talk yeah, to people I, like I'd you. I'd say relationships and trust are even more important mm. now, mm. not least because there are some shady dealings oh, taking place just, yeah. um, mm. uh, out there at the moment. So um, trust is... It's it's almost, you know, one of the the things that's most important to me in my role um, within uh, the Scotch Malt Whiskey Society and Artisanal Spirits is to ensure that I protect those relationships mm -hmm. and that yeah, we sure. don't do anything or we're not tempted to do something that might jeopardise that uh, relationship. Um, we're also, you know, we're category ambassadors, really. As you, you know, you guys are the same in the same place. You know, we 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 you know we're not going to say anything to criticize, um, you know, the, the Scotch whiskey industry. Um, right. It's not to say we're going to support things that we don't necessarily believe in. We will call out things. Um, mm. But at the end of the day, you know, it's also a bit of bite the hand that feeds um, <laughs> involved in this. But yeah, trust is, is, is super important to us. Yeah. I, I like what you said about category ambassadors, because I think that extends as well into what you bottle and what you sell. I mean, as independent bottlers, obviously, you know, you, you guys are, are a club, a global club, but we're bottles of the single cask and cask strength. And to bottle a poor whiskey, there's only so many times you could do that. And you lose, A, your credibility, and you tarnish, potentially tarnish the credibility of the independent bottler. I really like the way you put that. Um, can I have the floor now, Jason? Only if you promise to stop slapping the chair while you're talking into your mic. So, am I doing that? Uh -huh. Oh, man. Oh, man, I shove it. Um, Ewan, I love your title. <laughs> Head of Whiskey Creation. I thought you meant Mr. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and I'd love to hear exactly what that means to you and, and, and what you what you do to create whiskey what what it, what does that encompass yeah i guess on on the face of it because um you know we started as doing single cask single malt whiskey yeah. um there's there's perhaps not that much creation in there um but over the years as we've become more like masters of our own destiny filling mm. into wood of our choice and mm. um, then you know you can start to see where we are shaping that spirit from the very start so even in single cask selection, I'd say there's an element of creation in that. And then particularly we've got um, an additional maturation program mm -hmm. with a big focus on sherried whiskey. We really enjoy um, sherry cask matured whiskey. Um, so yeah, steering spirits in different directions, making sure they're, they're spot on for, for bottling. And then there's a lot of fun to be had um, in our 
uh, kind of experimental range, which you'll see in clear glass bottles. Yes. Where we do some blended malts, some single malts, but they're effectively they're small batches. And they tend to have really interesting stories, uh, or I think they're interesting anyway, <laughs> uh, where, you know, you, you might focus on a specific cooperage or you might focus on a specific type of wood. Like mm. we had one where the cooperage was selecting staves based on them having a higher than average lactone content, <laughs> which kind of gives you those creamy coconutty vanilla flavors. Yeah, yeah. So we made a product that used only those casks um, to, to kind of provide the, those notes. Um, so yeah, it's really interesting. It's it's about looking at the wider industry and taking inspiration from that. It's about looking outside the whiskey industry as well. We had one inspired by some cognac methodology in terms of uh, moving casks around to, to uh, sorry, moving spirit around through different casks and, mm, and really kind of nurturing it in a, in a way that perhaps is slightly different to is done in scotch. Sure, Elevage sure. kind kind of uh, yeah, idea, yeah, yeah. so yeah. And then in the spirits team, we're all um, we're all whiskey geeks, so we're constantly chatting, exchanging ideas, sending links. Have you seen what what's come out recently? <laughs> yeah, and it's yeah. about trying to yeah, like think about that and make it into something tangible in the end. Um, <laughs> and who knows when that's going to be for certain ideas? But you know, it's it's all collecting those up in in the bank of inspiration and trying to make sure that. It's expressed in the whiskey that comes out. And does some of that get shaped by what you're sourcing and how you're sourcing? Or once it's in-house, you're taking a look through stocks and saying, how do we tell a particular story here? Uh, yeah, we're always trying to source a, a, as large a variety as we can because that's kind of core to what, what we're looking to offer. Um, so lots of different spirits and lots of different casks. I mean, when it comes to fillings, we tend to be... Uh, bourbon and then a couple of different sherry varieties um but additional maturation we can go a bit uh, a bit further so i'm when i'm looking at the stock list it mm. is really like a huge variety of different things and it's trying to see in that matrix of of like <laughs> yeah. binary code like all these numbers flying by how, like what might make sense here what could we pull together um and yeah it's kind of the same with our um the jg thompson brand as well um which is focused on sort of three key flavors of rich smoky and sweet yeah, yeah. can you can you break down jg thompson for us a, a bit more and maybe talk about how that came to be and and where your area of focus is on that yeah um so we we love blended malt whiskey i think it's a hugely underrated uh category because mm -hmm. you know we, we, we love single malt, but just because you put two single malts together, you know, who's to say you don't get something greater than the sum of the parts? So that was really the idea there. And then to focus on just the three key bold flavor profiles. So in the rich, we could use sherry or wine port casks, that, that kind of vibe for, for darker, spicier baking spice flavors. Um, for the smoky, that's kind of self-explanatory. The cask type could be anything you want, but the peat is, is kind of the backbone. And then for the sweet style, we're using maybe a little bit of toasted oak, lots of bourbon wood, um, and trying to you know get that kind of candy store uh, vibe as well. So yeah, just playing riffs. And the idea was as well that each batch shouldn't be consistent. So we're not trying to make rich one, rich two, rich three, yeah, the yeah, same. Yeah. They're like variations on a theme. So a lot of fun to be had in putting those oh, together. Okay. 
So consistently good, but inconsistently conceived. Well, we took, it took inspiration from, you know, certain other batch products are out there where you, you know that they sit within a territory, but each time they've got scope to, to move around yeah. that territory. Yeah. So that yeah. it adds a bit more fun and it means that the, you know, the drinker gets a chance to say, oh, you know, what was this one ver like versus the, the one before? So it's a bit more latitude rather than, no, we need a consistent product and it needs to be the same mm -hmm. every batch that you do. Um, the other thing I'd just build on that is um, when we started that, we, we had some inventory of casks that um, I'd say we bought opportunis opportunistically, <laughs> if I can say it. Um, and uh, there, was, there was a degree there of, you know, they were involved in certain deals and trades. And um, one of them I'll pick on in particular is the 1972 um, uh, blended grain whiskey. Uh -huh. um, uh -huh. I just uh, had that last night. Had that last night. And, um, it's all right, isn't it? Very yeah. <laughs> yeah, all right. It's uh, and and really, the, the the story behind that is that we we were given an opportunity to buy in a discussion with uh, a rather large um, international whiskey company whose name I'm not going to mention, but um, and it was one of those sort of end of a end of a sort of meeting conversations where I've got some of this stuff would you like to would you like to try it and we sort of went yeah all right send some samples and then you and I got the samples and uh we were trying it we just looked at each other and went wow that's fantastic <laughs> yeah and then and then there was a question said um what would we use it for no idea <laughs> should we buy it yeah. <laughs> and how many years later was it before suddenly we went, ah, this is where we're going to use that. Yeah, it was um, like five years or something. We oh, wow. sat on it going, wow. what? And that's still just, there. <laughs> just the case that sometimes you've just got to trust your gut on, yeah. on things and just go, that doesn't quite fit. But, um, I th I th and I think that's part of a, an interesting experience. I was going to say journey. I did. Um, <laughs> that we've had in SMWS where... Um, we we started out as being single cask zealots, yeah. if I can mm. put it that way. Mm. Um, uh, and actually, of all things, it was a uh, it was an experience with um, the wonderful Chip Tate uh, oh, yeah. from Balcones a few years ago, and he came to the UK, and I had a meeting with him, and I was asking him things about some Balcones, and uh, and then he was telling me that basically they because of the evaporation losses and what have you, they were consolidating and then putting it into the cask. So I said, well, if we buy a cask from you, is that going to be single cask by definition? No. All right, cheerio. Um, uh, <laughs> and uh, because that's what we, we did, single cask. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, and that haunted haunted me. I was like, oh, this is ridiculous. Because back to, you know, Ewan says, we're whiskey enthusiasts. You yes, know, if yeah. we taste something good, we think the rest, the members are going to enjoy that as yeah. well. So why do we get hung up on you know, uh, a, 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 prior, a, a focus, a category or something like that. So in the same way, you know, by that time, you know, we came to some of these other things, mm. you know, we were in a position to say, yeah, let's buy these because we don't yet quite know what we're going to do, yeah. but it's tasty stuff. So, you know, yeah. it will find a way. Well, and Joshua and I were talking about that this morning, walking through Edinburgh on coming here, where that ability to speculate, that ability to lay down whiskey, was a, yeah, a, a it was, dream for it, it us. It was stunning, you, you know? know, just just being a, a two-man company, we are we were in a very different position <laughs> than Artisanal was. And for you to be able to make these larger decisions, you know, 
it just it seemed it was so striking and and now we're 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 within that inner circle and it, and it feels feels pretty amazing but but to that point and this is a bit of a selfish question but it gets back to Jason what you were asking about um when you know once once you left Glen Morangie as as ownership and and you didn't have a bottling hall anymore and now you do have that we're in that position where we were for 13 years working with third party bottling halls and now it's 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 all internal how how has that helped you from a whiskey creation standpoint not not just logistics but from whiskey creation standpoint as well i would say one of the kind of great examples of that is when we're making a small batch that has reduction yeah um, we will reduce over a longer period. So mm. like really slow uh, tri- taking the strength down very mm. gradually over like, what, two weeks or something if, if we've got the vat space. <laughs> yeah. So having that kind of control and our own team and you're not, yeah, you've with a third-party bottler and there, there are some great bottlers out there, but you're tying up their ability to produce for other yeah. people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Whereas with it under our own roof, you've got this extra level yeah. of kind of creativity and maybe care that you could put into your own product. Yeah. So that's been really cool. That's great. I think in general, what I'd say is, um, I'd, and I'd very much reiterate what Ewan says about the third-party bottlers. Um, we, we spent 39 out of our 40 years in the Scotch Malt Whiskey Society, you know, largely using um, third-party bottlers, and they did a fabulous job for us, and particularly during uh, the, the likes of the COVID period. I mean, yeah. it was amazing. I mean, it was a yeah. horrendous time. But when you've got your own crew um, <laughs> working on things, um, uh, it's not necessarily from a whiskey creation point of view, but in terms of quality, all yes. the way through, you are 100% reassured. Yeah. Um, and I think that's really important. Um, right through to if you've got a haze issue, for example, the guys are now checking, you know, turbidity. They've got options if we want to look at different um, uh, filter, not chill filter, but, you know, um, mm. uh, bag filter uh, options. through. So they're already thinking about some of those things and saying, you know, what, what can we do? And they care right through to... You know, a fun little thing was um, uh, we have a, a neck label uh, at the bottom of the capsule and the SMWS bottles, and uh, the the third-party bottlers were always hand-applying that. Well, we, we've got a machine that can do that. <laughs> and uh, the first time we ran it down the machine um, at, at, in, in Uddingston at a, a Masterton Bond site, um, there was about five of us all huddled around this one bottle going, wow, look at that. <laughs> and and I, cut, I, I took a step back and went, this is slightly sad, but it's, but it's wonderful. This is a neck label, guys. We're excited. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, it's wonderful because people care about the, you know, the detail yeah, yeah. Of, of making sure that that bottle looks fantastic. Um, for the for the member, um, right through to the, the way that they're handling the casks, because yeah. they know and they recognise the you know the value of the casks. You've even got you know the operators in the in the cask warehouse suggesting where we might put them or what to do with them and all of that. So there's a there's a care that mm. I hope you can taste it. You know, at the end of the day, you're, <laughs> yeah, not, yeah. you're not going to, but you know, I, I, you know, for me that's important that that's all the way through as well. Yeah. You got to taste the love in the whiskey. Yeah, you know? exactly. That's how it goes. So I, I'm still curious, though, when you've when you've been with Glenmorangie and you had the in-house bottling, and you really did have a day where you had to take that out. 
Had you known that was coming for a while? Did you have a small turnaround window yeah, to, we, to get we, that sorted? Um, and, and, you know, we weren't kind of dropped um, uh, straight away. They, you know, they, they did gradually um, uh, reduce that and they helped us. Uh, so in the in the early days, it was um, Ben Riech that were doing the, the bottling oh, for us. Um, and yeah. so the yep. Glenmorangie team helped set that up. Oh, wow. um, uh, and so we worked with them f- uh, for, a, for a few years. And, and I think we were still having some of our casks being tipped by Broxburn bottlers mm-hmm. um, yeah. as well, which was part of the previous process. So, so there was a very well thought through transition uh, that was put yeah. in place. I mean, they, you know, they, they did everything to help set us up for success. So were you working with Ali Walker on that, or was he was he part of that? Was he there at that time? No, I can't remember. I can't, okay. um, there was some of the team yeah. from Billy Walker's yeah. uh, group. In fact, some of them who've gone on, you know, yeah. uh, with him to to Glen Allachy as well, uh, uh, that were that were involved in in that at the time. There you go. We talked about sherry casks before, and we just so happened to have a sherried whiskey in our hands, mm-hmm. and I'd been nosing this. I, I was showing quite a bit re- restraint. I was just nosing it and nosing it, and I look over to Jason, and he's... A tiny sip. I, well, I took a yeah. tiny sip. <laughs> I, put it, I actually took it out of my hand because I was going to keep drinking it. So. <laughs> but the, the liquid is, is really, really excellent here. Um, so... I mean, we don't have to go over tasting notes, but you you hand selected some of these samples, as I understand it, and I'm I'm curious as to why what what drew you to this one. Uh, Jason told me to pick this one. (laughs) (laughs) What Jason says, you does. (laughs) Well, we literally sat down with a a big list of potential candidates and just went through. Uh, on a couple of hours in in the evening because we're across the Atlantic. Um, And this was one of the ones that we decided on. It's a 2010 um, from an Elgin distillery. And it spent some uh, 54 months in a uh, first full Spanish oak Oloroso hoggy. So quite a chunky period of time in, in that second cask would have been bourbon wood prior to that. My initial thought was that it was second fill sherry. So the fact that it's a finish makes, makes additional sense. maturation. Yeah, di- there you go. Additional <laughs> maturation. I love that. Well, because we've always kind of thought that finish sounds very short, and it's like six months or something. Yeah. Whereas we're aiming for two years sure. minimum, unless it's virgin oak, when it could be you know a little bit uh, ready a little bit sooner. So we try, we try and say additional maturation because we're aiming for over two years and it just kind of feels a little less drive-by finish. Yes, drive-by finish was a, <laughs> a, was a, was a, was a phrase that we heard uh, from a master blender from a very large uh, whiskey company and uh, referring to a product that they may or may not have made. Um, and we decided that uh, if people are referring to that kind of term, then perhaps we need to create our own. Plus, other companies had things like acing and, yeah, and yeah, all yeah. acing, so we needed to have our yeah. own one. Yeah, but back to your point a second ago, Joshua, is uh, all four of us here are, are engaged in the sourcing of liquid going forward. Yes. And, yep. and, you know, the fact that, yes, 
over, I gotta get it right this time, over a Microsoft Teams, uh, you and I, uh, I'm looking at you in here, uh, you and I were in the artisanal spreadsheet that is gargantuan and, and incredible and wonderful. And there was that sense of what are you looking for? What is the nation looking for? And we talk flavors and we talk profiles and we talk mm-hmm. ages and we talk about price points. And this morning at our meeting with you, Kai, we started talking about what's the future for SMWS casks with Artisanal? What's the future for Single Cast Nation casks with Artisanal? How do you, for our listeners here, how do you see that evolution for what you have been doing to what you both will be doing going forward? Can you put some leaves on those branches? Yeah, as uh, as you referred to earlier, this is about us understanding what single cast nation um, and uh, and your followers followers yeah, um, nation, uh, members. Nation, nation members nation members I see. proud okay, nation I'll get, I'll get this right. Uh, the members bit I should have got, but uh, anyway, <laughs> uh, it's it's what what are you guys looking for in terms of understanding what makes. Uh, an interesting, unusual, great quality, mm. you know, whiskey. How does that sit within your release program, you know, that you're looking to achieve there? And then that allows us to, you know, when we're when we're doing the sort of the day-to-day and talking to people and sourcing, that allows us to have one eye on, you know, what, what, uh, what you guys are, are looking for. In terms of SMWS, we, we you know, we continue with the, the way that we're, we're approaching things um, for the, you know, identifying inventory, what we want to buy on spot, what we want to, you know, mature and keep for longer, what we want to put through the additional maturation program. At the heart of that, you won't be surprised, is um, a drive for variety. Mm-hmm. Um, that's that's what we're looking, and, and Scotchmore Whiskey Society members are, are looking for, which is, you know, a mix of interesting and unusual casks. Uh, variety for us is uh, driven by a number of factors um, in terms of uh, distillery or make. Mm. Um, make for us is the fact that you know if you take a distillery that makes uh, uh, unpeated and peated, it's clearly not the same same thing. So <laughs> sure. those are variety factors. I'm yeah. stating the obvious, but uh, bear with me. Uh, age. Um, when we're planning, we're looking to bottle across an age of seven or eight years old up to 25 years old for the bulk of what we do and then we'll have the sort of special um things that are 25 years old and older and i think last year we we bottled a 40 year old Mm -hmm. to celebrate our 40th um uh, anniversary Uh, and then the final variable for um uh, variety is uh, cask uh, that we just touched on uh, earlier so Mm -hmm. i i have no idea how many different cask types we have in the inventory it is (laughs) Uh, it's mind-boggling, um, uh, and and you can kind of touch on that if we want to go there. Um, but um, at the moment, one of the things that we're looking at within that, um, we're talking about sherry casks, is around about a third or more of what we're releasing is sherry cask-influenced uh, whiskey, one way or another. And uh, so that's a an area that we've discovered that the members are very keen uh, to explore. And yeah. then within that, we're layering on 
variety within sherry casks, depending on you know where we've bought the cask from, wood type, the seasoning period, mm -hmm. the wines that have been used, all of the all of those different things. But variety is in in I guess in, in one hand it's it's um, it's great because it means that we don't have to do the same thing. We don't have the challenges that the um, uh, the OB producers have, uh, but it's a curse as well um, <laughs> uh, in terms of you know constantly changing things around and. Uh, and uh, defining what, what we think varieties should be. Well, and, and I think hot on the heels of what you're saying there, and, and Joshua, you were alluding to this earlier, in us joining artisanal for the first time, maybe even for the first time in a, in a while, we're sitting down with the two of you and saying, what does the year look like for single <laughs> cast nation? <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. and what do we have? currently in a warehouse what do we need to go out and taste and perhaps even discover right. in new Source distilleries new. Yeah. right yeah. and so it's it's hugely exciting and it's been so interesting anybody who's heard our other interviews or other conversations about this have continually said you sound really excited about this. Like, yeah, this yeah. is amazing. Like, just like you and sitting here talking about whiskey creation, Joshua and I, and, and with Jess for the global markets as mm -hmm. well, mm -hmm. we're getting to say, what would you like to put out into Germany in the third quarter of 2024? Like, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. it's so just, cool. We're, we're standing in a new place here, which is, <laughs> so cool. which is quite nice. Uh, I love that you're focusing on this, this increase of sherry matured whiskeys for your own outturns. I wonder, however, are there, are there certain distilleries that you might want to say, maybe we don't do sherry with them? And, and what would those reasons be? Possibly. Yeah. Um, you know, I guess we, we always have kind of rules of thumb, but then being the kind of rascals that we are, <laughs> we'll, yeah. we'll try and, uh, yeah. you know, experiment and test things out. So, like, I've always been of the mind that if you have quite a, a meaty spirit, um, you know, maybe produced with a worm tub a condenser or something mm -hmm. sure. I might be more inclined to use an American oak sherry cask with that to complement it uh, with sweeter tones okay. but then we've used Spanish oak which can be a little heavier and sure. more spicy and you're like oh that works as well so <laughs> yeah it's kind of just about judgement really but um, over the years we've kind of found out what works and or mm. what works better mm -hmm. Um and yeah, uh, it's, it's always a learning experience. I love that. The, the idea of looking not just at sherry and potentially different varieties of sherry, but different varieties of oak. Do you take cask size into consideration as well? Butts versus punchins versus hogsheads? Yeah, uh, we don't tend to use too many sherry butts. Um, I mean... They're, they're very good. They take a, a bit longer to sure. mature, so you get a bit more of a delicate influence there. But they are quite hard to handle. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, you know, um, you've got... I've gone trying to think of how what the weight of one would be, but you're talking like oh, yeah. uh, 800, 900 kilograms or something for a full, a full sherry, yeah, but yeah. I'm guessing. Oh, I think so. Um, hmm. No, maybe not that much, is it? 
What's the weight of one litre of alcohol at 60%? It's probably about half a tonne then. It's probably... So if you've got... How long have we got? Yeah, well, let's let's (laughs) backtrack. Let's do some of the sums. So so if you've got 500 litres and it's at like 92% density or something, so you're at like high 400s, and then you add potentially 120 kilograms for the wood. Yeah. So you're... Yeah. Anyway, does this make good podcasts? This is no, awesome. Yeah. This, this is, is so great. cool. Oh my God. Nobody has worked out the weight of a butt on the podcast, and this is episode one of season eight. Yeah, oh so thank gosh. you. Wow, trailblazer. <laughs> well, I'm just off the top of my head trying to think of it. But anyway, um, hogsheads are the preferred vessel. We have used quarter casks as well, um, which are obviously quite intense. And then recently, we commissioned some. 200 litre barrels mm. to season with sherry just to see if we could discern oh, a difference between hoggies yeah. and uh, and maybe get a bit of a balance so it's a bit sure. more intense than a hoggy but um, not quite as intense as a quarter cask oh, so okay. which would be one, one two five litres the one thing I'd add on this is um, all of this is on the back of a lot of um, visits to Hereth um, <laughs> and um, meeting yeah. Uh, lots of different um, cooperages, bodegas and what have mm-hmm. you. So this is really about, um, I think, the other part of the equation that the risk of state the obvious is really good quality casks. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and also, you know, the asking an awful lot of questions throughout the process of different people going to see, you know, different mm-hmm. stages of the, of the process, going to the wineries, tasting the wine that's being matured. Some of the casks we have are in our own seasoning program, which uh, Ewan just alluded to. You know where we have full control of of, of the whole process mm-hmm. uh, that's in there. So it it, um, it really is important that you do that. We think, and that you know, we put the time and the effort and the money into sourcing you know casks directly from yeah. the producers rather than going through brokers or other other routes and what have you. And and in fact, we've we've had our fingers burnt uh, on that on that you know some years ago uh, as well. Also, I mean, when we, we talk about sherry casks, in the broadest sense, we are we are looking at fortified wines and, and other types of casks as well. Yeah. So sherry casks, as, as you'll know, are really only referring to the sherry triangle uh, where they come from. Yeah. Uh, and the ones that we buy that are sherry casks will have the Conseco uh, barcodes on them as well. But we are also curious about what happens when you buy a, a PX or an Oloroso um, uh, casks from Montilla mm. or from Malaga or from mm. other areas. So, mm-hmm. you know, that's another area of, of uh, exploration and experimentation mm. um, uh, that we're looking at that, again, will provide another layer uh, for the members' experience in terms of, you know, these very, you know, flavorsome casks that we're bottling from. I, I love hearing that you've got this this seasoning program in place and and that you're not shying away from it. It's, it seems to be this common trope. People slag off the idea of seasoned sherry casks because the oh the the old vintage sherry casks are so much better, right? I'm not saying that. I'm saying that's what people say. But I think it. it I think the flavors are different. And please feel free to disagree with me. It's not. It's not that one is better than the other. It's that they're different. Quite often when we do tastings and we talk about whiskeys that are young versus old, it's, it's not that the young whiskey is a lesser whiskey. It's just it's doing one thing that young whiskeys do and old whiskey does things that old whiskeys do. So, so do you find the same with, with that? 
certainly. Uh, I would agree with you. I w- would never say something was better. It's, it, you, it's just a different yeah. end product. Yeah. Um, but coming back to consistency, with season casks, you're able to, by, by choosing the supplier or the cooperage you're going to work with, mm. you can see where the wood comes from. You can see how long they dry it for and, and you know, all their methodology, how long they toast yeah. it for. Um, you can, in some cases, select the winery that it's going to. You can We visit the casks, we taste the wines from the season casks. Mm-hmm. Um, and with old bodega, or like Solera casks, that may have been used for 50 to 100 years, there is literally no traceability. Um, <laughs> yeah. you, you have no idea, <laughs> yeah. like, sometimes even what oak type it's made from. Um, so you really have to be able to go and check those before you use them. So they're good to use, mm-hmm. but they're very, very risky. Um, they could have been in situ for, for years. They could have had bacterial infections. They could have had the odd yeah. stave replaced. Yeah. They could have wormholes. Um, they, lead they patches. Could, yeah, lead patches. <laughs> sulfur candles all the way through the winemaking <laughs> process once it's been emptied before it's refilled. And there's not really a record of that. And, you know, the person selling it to you knows you want to hear that it hasn't had sulfur candles burned in it. <laughs> yeah. Um, yep. So, yeah. Um, if you want consistency and control from end to end, then seasoned casks are, are a fantastic way to go. Mm. And the suppliers we work with are very open book uh, and, and take great. us all over, yep. you know, to show transparency and their process and the people they work with. The, the proof of that as well is that every time we get a truckload of um, casks from Hareth, uh, one of our team will go on site uh, to nose all of the casks. Mm, um, uh, so it, that's, again, another sort of level of the quality, yeah. attention to detail. And we're doing that just to check that, you know, A, they are what we thought they were going to be, um, <laughs> uh, even if they've got a stencil on the side. But um, it's uh, it's to ensure that they are all quality before we start filling them with spirit or mature mature whiskey. And I think th- this is where it's really been borne out when we've when we've had deliveries of you know, old ex-bodega casks, they're all over the place. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, as soon as you get, you know, one of the, the seasoned casks coming through, everyone on the nail. Um, yeah. uh, and yeah. it's just like, wow, bang, 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 bang. Um, it's fantastic. And that gives you the confidence uh, going forward because, you know, you know, you know you've got that fixed, yeah. fixed variable that yeah. you, can, you can then deploy. And because each cask matures differently, as we know anyway, mm-hmm. you're not creating homogenous releases you, you're yeah. creating a consistency and quality like Kai said before right. in the yeah. wood yeah. and then everything can kind of diverge as it matures and you get class whiskey at the end of it yeah, yeah. <laughs> class whiskey class you know? whiskey <laughs> you let every day on one nation under whiskey class whiskey <laughs> one nation under class whiskey um, so, so as we're just kind of moving towards the end here in our next episode, we're going to be speaking with Lost Lantern, very much a, an American-based, American-focused independent bottler. Mm-hmm. Um, and and we'll, we'll talk about their business over there. But I'm curious, as we're sitting here at the vaults in Edinburgh with both of you, what are you seeing? Because I, I know you've, you've been in America. I know you've sourced in America. I know that we'll be, we'll be exploring some sourcing uh, for artisanal in America going forward. Um, how, how is American single malt, perhaps, American bourbon, American rye, how does that do within SMWS? And do you have any members 
coming in asking for, for key numbers, even if we can't then say what they are? Um, I'm not yet sure we've got to the stage of key numbers. Mm. Um, I think that's, there's, because they're still relatively infrequent that we're bottling, you know, uh, that the people who are interested in Bourbon and Rye in particular are going to come in and, and and buy those and, and you know, and enjoy them. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that uh, American single malt is, um, there's definitely a following for, for one or two of those. Um, uh, and I think, but you, you'll know this better than, than we do, it's in, in its infancy, it's in the foothills. Sure, yeah, sure. You know, you, you, it hasn't even been recognized officially in America, for goodness sake. <laughs> um, and I think they, uh, anytime I'm speaking to people there, you know, I, I have to feel sorry for them having to explain what it is and why the mash bill is just one, <laughs> one gra- grain. Uh, although obviously some of them engineer that in, uh, and, and you know, for, for good reason in terms of the flavour. Thinking about you know Westland's five, five, yeah. five grain you know, mash bill and things like that. Um, but then you know you hear them saying, "Oh, oh, you guys make scotch," you know, like that, and they're having to explain what. So it's a really <laughs> tough ask. And then on top yeah. of that, particularly because we're selling um, to established whiskey markets, uh, which is where the society has presence, mm-hmm. they're, they're then up against Scotch whiskies that. Are maybe uh, better better understood, mm. known, mm-hmm. have a higher age statement on them as well. So you, you're combating all of those things. Having said that, um, you're definitely starting to see a following for uh, those that have a really, I think, a distinct um, uh, flavour profile. So you know, you could just stay in Seattle alone uh-huh. on that one. On one side, you've got Westland, then you've got Copperworks. Nice. Um, yep. uh, I like both of them. Absolutely love Copperworks. That's just yes. got a yeah. real richness. Mm-hmm. Uh, to it in terms of what they're what they're creating, and certainly from my perspective as a whiskey enthusiast, you know, I I, I will look out uh, <laughs> those things because I really like what's going on. And and I suppose the other thing, if we take single malt in particular, is um, I suppose a phrase that would make our hearts sink would be somebody, you know, creating single malt whiskey in another country saying, yeah, it's really like scotch. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. we've got quite a lot of scotch over here. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, we don't need to go to other countries. What we're looking for is yeah. their innovation, their thinking, their, I don't like the word terroir, I don't kind of believe it, but there's something in that that they've taken inspiration yeah. locally uh, to deliver that. Um, but I think uh, it, this, we, we are still in the foothills, I think, um, particularly outside of... Uh, the U.S. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a there's an interest in in amongst the American members for sure about American whiskey, mm-hmm. uh, but I think in other countries that's that's still developing, and I think as well when you come here to the U.K. and in Europe, um, American whiskey has been damaged mm-hmm. uh, in recent years due to the tariffs. Oh. Um, Indeed, yeah, sure. I think uh, you know you yeah. almost say Europe is is one of the areas that has failed to see. The, the, the bourbon bounce yeah. Um, yeah. in recent years it's like things have never happened and and mm-hmm. as a as a whiskey enthusiast when I'm looking for interesting <laughs> bourbons and rice you can't find them you know yeah. Um, yeah. it's it, it was struggling to you know to get a hold of them and then the prices are a bit silly in comparison to the dollar equivalent I see there so I think yeah. there is opportunity mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. in there and we know that our members are curious 
Um, they're adventurous in that sense. And if we point to something and say, this is fab, you might want to try it, they, they'll pick that up. Yeah, oh, very, very well said. Uh, yeah, you and have, have you... What he said. <laughs> but, but as, as Mr. Whiskey Creator... Yeah, Mr. Um, there you go. Have you, have you spent a lot of time exploring... The, the qualities of American spirit, the way you're talking so well on scotch, meeting new casts and different varieties of oak and so on and so forth. Have you had a chance to play in the, the American uh, whiskey sandbox? Uh, not quite as creatively as, as with scotch again, because, <laughs> you know, we've got uh, such an abundance in <laughs> sure. the warehouse. Sure. Um, but being able to taste a lot of samples um, from different distilleries and see what they're doing and their take on things. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Again, it all goes into that bank that I was talking about that this, the, the whiskey team have. Um, and you never know when an idea might crop up. I think we're really open to the use of new oak with different toasting profiles mm -hmm. because mm -hmm. of... Uh, American malt whiskies and seeing the results there. And I think mm. sometimes in the Scotch industry, people shy away and it gets used a lot, yep. but uh, I think sometimes it's a bit of a, you know, people shun it a little bit as being too over the top, mm -hmm. but I, I think we kind of embrace it. And that's, that's something that I took from American whiskey is that the new oak is your friend and you can create <laughs> lots of nice flavors there as well. Well, given Scottish climate, I feel like you could put, something in so your a little less intense and yeah and what we gentle. do we a, a cast type that we're really big fans of in terms of new oak is a heavy toast with a medium char um and i can't remember the exact timings and temperatures but it's a, a specific recipe that we have with a um with space like cooperage actually and um <laughs> it just gives this lovely rounded creaminess like texture wise mm, lots uh, of sweetness okay. but not too much like splintery oak mm -hmm. so it's a good balance um you have to look out for some of those tonight <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Hi, you, and thank you both so much for joining us. Uh, it was really nice of you to take a little time out of your day to talk to us about what it is that you do, how you do it, why you do it, a bit of the mm -hmm. history, which I thought was cool, getting to learn a bit more about J.G. Thompson, which is a name most people don't know about, but no. but I think should, because no. the whiskey's pretty damn cracking. Um, yeah. You know, the, there's another part of the <laughs> conversation that that I didn't include in this in this earlier bit and and it's how they taste their whiskeys through their panel which yeah. I thought was absolutely yeah. brilliant and I just thought that it would be good to sort of bring that in a little later into the episode yeah to add on to what you're saying about the tasting panel there uh, I just finished uh, reading Maverick, hey. The Founder's Tale by Pip Hills. I'm 100 pages Did in. Did you get that wrapped? Yeah, 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 I'm 100 pages in. I'm, I'm still working on it. Oh, 100. Yeah. Uh, he talks in there about the early tasting panel, and I was quite surprised to see, for no particular reason, but Dr. Jim Swan was <laughs> yeah. an original <laughs> member of their tasting panel. And, yep. and just the way Pip Hills talks about his expectations and or even learning to talk about whiskey in a way that so many of us now take for granted mm. this idea of mm. you know florid <laughs> tasting notes yeah. you know and imagination running wild and sounds a little bit like what they've historically done in the wine world mm -hmm. 
And, uh, and Pip talks about bringing that into whiskey circles. And I, I thought that was kind of a, an interesting aspect. But then also having somebody who was known for his scientific background, sure. like Dr. Jim Swan. Yeah. Yeah. One of the reasons I wanted to keep the conversation regarding tasting panels separate from the rest of the conversation is, you know, one of the questions that I've been fielding, and I don't know if you've been fielding the same, is, well, what's going to differentiate Single Cast Nation from SMWS now that you're both owned Mm -hmm. by the same parent company? And I just, I think it's a really good idea for us to just reiterate how we taste whiskey, because it really is in stark contrast to how they go through it, right? Like for them, and and listeners will hear this, for them, there are measures put in place so that people are truly tasting these things blindly and tasting the whiskey mm-hmm. on, on its own merit. And for a company like SMWS, it makes sense, right? You, you don't need to know the distillery number. You don't need to know the cast type. You don't need to know the age. You just need to know, is this or is this not good? Because in the end, if it passes, you write your tasting notes that goes on the label. Boom, you've got a new SMWS bottling. For us, you know, when we think about what casks we're going to bottle, we do a few things, right? A, does it smell good? Does it urge us to taste <laughs> to taste it? Does it taste good? Is the finish nice? Coupled with what does the price look like and can we sell it reasonably as a drinker, right? But there are other things in place such as, you know, sometimes we want that cask to highlight what a distillery is known for. And we and it for us it's important to know that distillery and to highlight sort of what they do on steroids. And sometimes even in extreme measures we want to show examples of what that distillery can do but isn't always known for doing. Yet you can still find that distillery character in there somewhere. I like how, you know, the SMWS isn't necessarily too fussed by distillery character. They're fussed by distillate quality, where we, you know, we, we, we just look at it slightly differently. Well, I think if, if we point to the spirit of collaboration, mm. right? Like there's, there's a part of our remit, gosh, you started today's episode talking about this, right? Our relationship with Aaron that goes back to 2010, 2011, when we first started reaching out mm-hmm. about putting something into bottle with them and, and them saying, we want to be the, the first bottling you do. You know, we want yeah. the Aaron name to be front and center. We want you to go out and tell the Aaron story. Mm-hmm. Like it, and we kind of built SCN on the back of that model, which was, you know, we've been out there celebrating Glenn Murray. Uh, right. You know, we talk all the time about our friends at Westland, our, our friends at Virginia Distillery Company, right? Yeah. Our friends at Backwoods. It's yeah. an incomplete Joshua Hatton list, and I apologize. Copperworks, Westward. <laughs> <laughs> right, but yeah. but I think I think we've taken that role of, of co-marketer, mm-hmm. and, and I don't use that... To, to connote anything negative, yeah. but yeah. we've taken on the role of telling a distillery story, introducing you to the people behind those distilleries. And absolutely to your point, SMWS is sold on the back of a, of a flavor 
tasting note. Yeah. You know, my, my Muscovado pipe tobacco that I've got in my glass right now is doing something very different from what we're doing at Single Cast Nation. Yep. And yep. those are differences to be celebrated, especially when you share a corporate host. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Listen, I'm, I'm going to share one thing with our listeners that that normally we we wouldn't share, but I think that th- I think it's important, right? When when we were oh, when we I've, were, I've got the silence button under my thumb here. <laughs> Let's see how this goes. So when we were at ASCHQ, we we're tasting through a number of cast samples for future twenty twenty four bottlings, and there was a specific case where we had two single casks from the same distillery. I don't know if they were sister mm-hmm. cast. I think oh, they may have been mm-hmm. a couple years apart. And and we selected one, and then we said, you know, this. We tasted the other sister cast, and we said, "Hot damn! If that is not a great whiskey, but it is not a single cask nation cask. We would not bottle this. We would buy it from the bottler who bottled this, but we wouldn't yeah, bottle it because it, it didn't, yeah. you know, fit what what we like to do. And I actually have some of that recording." from that conversation that I want to I want to pop in here just so you, so people can hear how we think about whiskey that's just different from our now sister company. So so here here's that bit. Sniff the microphone rather Already than Already did right? it this go around. Right. Picked up number one, sniffed the mic. Yeah, it's it's fruity. It's quite bright. Mm, some pear drop notes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Good grain presence to it. Yeah, definitely one of those nosies moment you start. It's like uh yeah, that's in the going to taste column. Ah, there you go, citrusy. Yeah, it's just bright, inviting. Yeah, pretty, like, pretty slam dunk nose for you. Yeah, yeah, that's a, that's a taster. That one smells like spring. Ah, spring things. Spring things. All right, so now we're on to whiskey number two. Different. Nidutabuta. Huh. Quite a bit different. Far less bright. Yeah. More grain presence on this one. That's sort of that grain weightiness. Hmm. Equally interesting. Uh, I'm still focused on that horse of a different color kind of quality to it. Hmm. Yeah. It doesn't doesn't jump out the glass in the same way as the first. No, yeah, yeah, look, right. If you if you were to have just these two on a table, I'd want to sip the first one. Yeah, before the second. Yeah, do you think that nose is interesting enough for you? I do. Okay. I do because okay. I'm trying to think of it. Out of context. Prepare to fast forward. Preparing to fast forward. Fast forward. Fast forwarding, sir. 
Oh, yeah, we're sticking our nose back to number two. Okay. Yep, sticking our nose back into number two. And I quite like that. It's from that industrial family where it, it's a bit like typist eraser or window putty or maybe a latex glove kind of thing. You know, sometimes a hard water note for me. Yeah. Uh, hard water distillery style for me. Yeah, 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 right. Like, uh, and I'm just throwing out a, a random random name, but like a like a Glen Glassa. Exactly. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Um, however, I'm getting quite a bit of lemon on this. Oh, lovely! Oh, it's a nice note. I wouldn't go so far as to like call the lemon curd because it's not overly sweet, mm-hmm. but there's there is that citrusy quality, that brightness to it, which yeah, like I like a little. A little lemon pinwheel. All right. So so that one's a yes for me. That yeah. became a maybe to a yes. Yeah, I'm glad we kind of explored the context of it, you know. All right. Jason's got number one in his mouth. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, you did put it there. Ooh. To be fair. To be fair. Oh, that milk chocolate. Straight through the center of the palate. And bright. Real bright. Fresh. Invigorating. Mm-hmm. Zesty. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Effervescent. Right. I think it's got that little effervescent-like zip to yeah. it. Zing. That's a tasty treat. Yeah. And even just sitting here, sometimes those lighter, zestier whiskeys can, can pass through the finish quite quickly. This has got oils layered on the tongue and a nice, long, lingering, warming finish as well. Yeah. So, you know, we're take well, <laughs> you're tasting these blind. I know what the distilleries are. And, uh, and, I, and I would argue that mm. this is well within the distillery style, house style, mm. and uh, very true to it. So mm-hmm. that... I like. Very nice. Yeah. yeah I think that's a selection. Uh, yeah, that's, oh, yeah, sorry. That's a selection. That's, <laughs> it's, you know, it, just, you know, for people listening here, you know, I, I realize for some things we're putting out, you know, specific notes on the nose, specific flavors, and in some instances we're, we're not doing that. Yeah, like, I, just, I just straight up like it. Right? It's, for us, it's, we're looking for that connective tissue from nose to palate to finish is it is it interesting? Would I would I want to open it? Would I want to share it? Once we say yes to a whiskey, then you know, even though we get notes immediately, then we really dig in and look for those notes. We don't necessarily do it immediately. No, this is a selection process. This yeah. is not the writing of notes. Correct, correct, correct. We're also you know getting through a few samples, so we don't want to dilly dally. Mm-hmm. All right. I tell you, number number two has a time and a place, mm. but I don't know if it's a, a reach for whiskey. Yeah, I, w- I wouldn't reach around for this whiskey. You had to. I had to, Jason. What do you think of it on the palate? Yeah. I've only had the one sip, yeah. right? I, I want to see what happens. I'll tell you. That's good weight. It's quite a bit more fruity than the, the other one. I think the, the first one that we had had a good bit of milk chocolate on it. 
I would go so far as to say it's a good whiskey without being a single cast nation whiskey. There you go. There you go. Well said. I, I feel like you and I are sitting here looking at each other. Yeah. Looking for a better reason to pick it or not pick it. Really a better reason to make a decision. Yeah. And I, I think anytime you and I are looking at each other yeah. for, for reasons, I think we know it's not speaking to us. Yeah. It's yeah. not speaking yeah. SCN. Yeah. But there's nothing wrong with it. Uh-uh. Uh-uh. I, honestly, if <laughs> it's, it's a weird thing to try and describe. But it's it's not quite textured enough or luxurious on the palate enough for Yeah, and, and at the same time though, would this should this show up in someone else's bottle, I wouldn't be upset if I bought it. Hundred I just know it's not it's not a, a Jason and Joshua yeah, selection. Yeah. That's, that's a, a that's an interesting one. Yeah. Okay. You see what I'm saying, Jason? I, I really think that that highlights how we're going to select a cask or not select but one. But I think it's a very interesting moment when you say we're not going to select that for SCN, but I wouldn't be upset if I purchased that bottle from oh another God. independent bottler. Like, yeah. That's a weird thing to say. It felt weird even when we were saying it, and you and I agreed wholeheartedly with each other. Yeah. <laughs> we totally understood what we were saying about Single Cast Nation and, and what goes into our bottles. Well, I think, you know, when I buy whiskeys from Caddenheads or if I buy it from Gordon McPhail or, you know, insert independent bottler here, there are certain things that I expect those bottlers to do. And that particular cask I wouldn't expect from Single Cast Nation. So that's why we said no to it. So... And I buy from those independent bottlers, right? You buy from those independent bottlers. So absolutely, I do. Again, right? Everybody has their reasons for bottling this cask or that cask, and and it was nice to be able to sort of stand our ground a little bit and say, you know, yes, we sell in the U.S., we sell in this country, in that country, but we don't need to bottle that. We can we can let that move on. So, speaking of what we put in bottle. And before we return to the audio with you and Kai about the tasting panel, do you want to wake up the paper boy? I'm so glad you asked. I mean, it's it's 2024. Fucker needs to wake up. <laughs> history, history, read all about it. Life story, a playboy, penny, extra, extra. So we have plans afoot for a host of releases. We're not going to cover them all this very moment, but we are going to let you know about them uh, and their existence in this very moment. Mm -hmm. We have the first three Single Cast Nation online US releases. Mm Almost ready to go. <laughs> Almost. We have the three Single Cast Nation Online US follow-up bottles. Almost ready to go. And just to be clear, almost ready to go simply means we're just waiting for the stuff to hit the port, be released from the port, go into our warehouse, so then we can start selling. Stuff is bottled. I just wanted to to clarify for our listeners. (laughs) 
And we have US retail that definitely fits that remit of waiting for it to clear port. Mm -hmm. And then that'll start making its way through distribution in the United States. You'll start seeing that on retail store shelves. So uh, more information coming uh, as that starts to happen. And then we stand on the precipice of our global, our sixth global release, Mm -hmm. helmed by Jess. And that is getting aligned and will soon be ready to go as well. But without getting into the weeds, uh, mm-hmm. I should say we will have Jess come on in a future episode, talk about the next uh, or the sixth global release. But I wanted to draw attention to the first three bottlings that are going to make it to US online release, Joshua. Do you want to tell listeners about those first three? I think it's likely best to start off with one of our newest collaborations, right? There's distilleries we work with directly, and and you'll look at our labels, and there's a a logo on it that says Spirit of Collaboration, right? Um, You know? As mentioned just moments ago (laughs) on this very podcast. Exactly. And so this is going to be a a five-year-old from a sherry cask, an Oloroso uh, hogshead, from the Ardnamurkin distillery. Jason, I, I've told you this. I've told the listeners this. Ardnamurkin has made it into my top five distilleries of all time, period. They just, they, they can't do yeah. wrong. Just, I'm so happy about this one. So, uh, five years well, and, then yeah. The, this will be our first Ardnamurkin release in the United States. Correct. We did put an Ardnamurkin into global retail with Jess, and she reports that that went great. Real, I, you talk about how much you love Ardnamurkin. Steve, our, our, our new Steve Hawley, uh, talks about how much he loves Ardnamurkin. When, when we saw the response to the global retail <laughs> Ardnamurkin, uh-huh. there's a lot of people who are very much in love with this distillery. So oh, yeah. I am, I'm beyond excited to bring this to the US and put this out for the nation over here. Yep, yep, for sure. Yeah, and at 58.3% alcohol, it just drinks like an absolute champ. Again, in sherry, it's unpeated, but you don't need the peat. It's just going to shine like a diamond. Um, it's just really great Highland whiskey. Yep, yeah, right. And then following that is yet another spirit of collaboration. And this time it's with our friends mm. once again from down there. It's That's uh, it. Lee Yakindanda. and Bree. <laughs> Yakindanda. Lee and Bree Atwood, owners of Backwoods Distillery in Yakindanda, Australia. And this is, this one, right, this gets back to that single cast nation cinematic. What, what did James Saxon call it? This, the cinematic the cinematic universe cinematic universe so a few years back we did um we did a, a rye from them in a recharged shiraz cask and this time yeah. around we took two yeah. rye heritage casks, rye at heritage that. rye at that this time around we took two of their heritage rye casks married the, that liquid together and put it in the first backwoods cask 
for it this is. release, which is now uh, a four-year-old. And, uh, and I think yep. that's at exactly 60% alcohol, if memory serves. Yep, that's uh, cast number 14 yeah, yeah. is pulling double duty here. Yep, yep. Uh, we actually combine casks number 16 and number 23. Yes, that's right. And yeah. married them in cast number 14 to, to make that connection, to tell that story. Yeah. You know, it's, it's part of that excitement as you look into the future. What, what stories? You know, I, again, I'm trying to take back the word marketing because I, I think it has been co-opted and co-lifted. And, and I think, you know, I know how proud we are to tell the Backwoods story, how yeah. proud we are to represent the Atwoods and how proud we are to talk about Yak and Danda. And, <laughs> and this just continues to add layers to what we're putting out there. So really excited. That Backwoods sold great, very well received mm-hmm. uh, when we sold that. What's that now? A couple of years ago? A couple. Yeah. I, uh-huh. I want to say that it was 2020 or 2021. It, w- it was during COVID times. It may have been bottled in 2019, bottled. but then sold in 2020. The original cask number 14 was bottled November of 2021, and we sold it <laughs> in, in the spring of 2022. Oh, look at that. Jason, do not come to me for dates anymore. I, it's clear. I can't be well, trusted. you know. I felt like I had that one up my sleeve, so. Oh, I see what you did there. I read, yeah. I read it literally yeah. this morning. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see if he gets it right, so I can prove him wrong. Uh, and then, and then finally, uh, this this one is. I mean, they're all exciting, but for those that like, for those that like, their single malt Scotch whiskey with a bit of age, and a bit of smoke. <laughs> We've got an Ardmore 25-year-old, bottled at 46.7%, natural cast strength. And one of the things that I love about that, well, I'll mention two things that I love about this. Thing number one, this was produced back in a time when Ardmore was, um, they were still heating their stills with direct fire, coal-driven direct Mm -hmm. fire. And it made for a different kind of spirit than what Ardmore is doing now. Uh, it was much sweeter in style. It, not to say that what they're doing now is, is, is worse. It's just simply different. And I love that older, sweeter style of Ardmore. So that's Ardmore in a mm-hmm. refill bourbon hoggy. And the, and the other thing that I like about it, Andrew Dane, who we had on the podcast just a few episodes ago, and who is the CEO of, of Artisanal Spirits, this is his distillery, right? This is <laughs> this is his baby, and and to think that we we bottled it before us joining that family started just just was nice. It was a nice thing that told me maybe this is the right move. Yeah, we've had this right? in the warehouse for a few years now. A few years, a couple yeah, of we've been years sitting now, on it for a so, while. Yeah, yeah, getting this out and just releasing it at a time that we. Meet Andrew Dane, and Andrew Dane starts talking about his love of of late nineties Ardmore, and, and we did yeah. In that interview, we started talking about twenty five year old Ardmore single casks, and how they're just delightful and delicious. So, yeah, it's it's that's three great great releases uh, to come out the gate with, and and show what Single Cast Nation will be doing 
in concert with Artisanal Spirits Company. Yeah. And yep. And how much we love what we're putting out, and, and how much we stand behind what we're putting out here. So indeed. So yeah, there will be there will be an email to the nation in the US uh, to let you know how to get your hands on these uh, once we finalise pricing, once uh, everything is landed and in the warehouse. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, plenty more detail to share, but we were excited and wanted to get this uh, the words around these first three out there. Indeed. Indeed. Listen, um, I just poured myself a little more of this Aaron anniversary, and I wanted to enjoy this while we listen back to the to the last ha- last portion of our conversation with Kai and you, and where they talk about their tasting panel. Listen, before we get out of here, there, there's, there's one thing I've always found fascinating, which is your selection process. And, and it's different from ours, right? Jason and I get together. We nose. We taste the samples. It's yay or nay. Sometimes Jess will join us for, for global market things as well. But you guys have a panel. It's not just you two selecting <laughs> the casks. So can you just go, th- like our listeners know our process but it'd be good to hear from your mouths what you, what your process is for casks. So uh, we have a thing called the tasting panel, uh, which has been around since the very early days of the society um, after it was formed in uh, 1983. Um, that panel comprises of about 20-odd uh, individuals, uh, some of whom are members of staff of the Scotch Malt Whiskey Society, uh, and then we have um, quite an eclectic mix of different people uh, that are part of the panel. We've had people who are uh, ex-whiskey industry, you know, blenders, mm-hmm. um, uh, people with no real uh, connection with the whiskey industry, mm-hmm. all of those different things. Um, they all have to go through a sensory analysis, okay. uh, evaluation process mm-hmm. that we have based uh, on the similar panels that are done elsewhere uh, and with the Scotch Whiskey Research Institute. Uh, if they pass that, then they're essentially on a bit of a probation period uh, to see. Well, just to see how it works, because sure, sure. you can you can you can maybe discern certain flavors and aromas, but can you come up with the language? Can you describe? Um, uh, do you get stage fright? You know, all sure, of that kind of sure. panel yeah. fright. Yeah. Um, uh, the the panel meets uh, about twice a week. You mentioned earlier on. And they'll assess around about 10 samples uh, at a time, which is a small number, but they go through a hell of a lot of detail um, in terms of, of how that works. Uh, I'll maybe let you and you explain that in a second. I suppose the main point I would make is um, that that panel has full authority um, in terms of its judgment of the whiskey. So if if... Mm. if I think this is an amazing sample that's going to the panel. I'm really looking forward to seeing what they, you know, what they say um, and it passing and Ewan's the same and they come back and say, no, we don't like it. We will not bottle it. Um, That, that, and that's been the case right since the beginning. We, you know, we'll put, I think, I'm not so sure it's on the bottle now, but back in the day, we used to have a statement uh, saying that. That's because we don't put the name of the distillery on on the front of the the label. Um, Mm. You know, members have to take a bit of, 
there's a, sometimes a leap of confidence in terms of what is this, I, I don't know what it is, or yeah. that kind of thing. The, the key thing that they can anchor that back to is it has gone to a panel of usually um, four people okay. who have sat there who have rigorously interrogated that whiskey and determined whether or not it's fit for bottling for SMWS. There is a further layer in that you and me then afterwards turn around and go, yeah, but... I'm still not bottling it. Um, uh, and so we can, we can, you know, there may be other criteria that leads to that. Mm. Do you want to add to that, Ewan? Yeah, I think the important thing for the panel is that they um, are impartial and they can focus on the flavour and the experience mm -hmm. element because we see everything behind the scenes. So mm. I, I could have a pet project, you know, a, a prototype <laughs> product that I'm really excited about but they don't know anything about uh, the history of it or what it's going to be yeah. or what, you know, why they're tasting it. They're just looking at what's in the glass. Yeah. Um, so their feedback is really, really important. Um, and you know, quite a lot of the time, th thankfully, they, they agree <laughs> with, if we like something, they, they like it too. Um, but that's a really important thing mm. is to have this kind of sounding board to get other people's opinions. Um, and yeah, we, we're all whiskey geeks again i said that before um so to be able to chat with them and we take part in some of the panels as well mm. and you know people have different strengths and weaknesses and different ways of describing things yeah. so mm -hmm. we can piece together an interesting mm. um sort of hive mind <laughs> of, <laughs> of, of whiskey fans to yeah. assess uh, what we want to consider for bottling when you're sitting in on those panels are you careful to avoid leading the witness or do you sometimes feel like you do want to give a little bit of that backstory to so, further understand what's in the glass so the way that we do it uh, kind of prevents that um, we have a, an app online that all of the samples are uploaded into mm. and when we taste the whiskey it's done in silence so we, we, yeah, we will. Joshua and I cannot imagine silence. Yeah. Well, so so the way the way it works is we um, we give a kind of color rating. We've got a color chart. Okay. Um, I'm not quite sure why we do that. We've been collecting that data for one, a, one day. It'll be used. One day we'll use it. We've got a lot of data on color. Um, then we've got um, reduced nose. Uh, sorry, neat nose mm. score, taste score, add water, repeat. Okay. And then right at the end, we will all share our thoughts. Uh, so there's no okay. like, oh, isn't this, uh -huh. this is brilliant, uh -huh. guys, isn't it? There's no leading yeah. witness. Yeah. Um, it's right at the end that you come together and share your opinions. And then there's a lot of chat, I imagine, mm -hmm. much mm -hmm. like your guys' <laughs> yeah. tasting sessions. Yeah. Um, and at that point as well, they'll recommend what flavor profile. So our whiskeys go into one of 12 flavor profiles, and it's a consensus there that, that decides what that uh, profile is. Very cool. And the, the last bit to it is, does the selection have to be unanimous? Can, can one person have veto power to say, listen, I hear what you guys say, but I just don't think that this is going to work? It, you can't really make a rule for it. You kind of have to look at each okay. assessment on its yeah. own merit. Yeah. So, um, you know, if something's going to be really old and, and valuable... Um, you, you definitely want it to be unanimous, but if if it's if someone doesn't like it, but it's just because it's not their bag, it's not because they're getting uh, flaws. Yeah, you you might speak to the panel chair, so have a kind of more senior yeah, okay. person heading up each set each session, and you'll just ask them, "What did you think about this? I see that so and so didn't like it, 
and they can provide a bit of guidance on that. But you take each one as it comes, and we've got all the tasting notes and everything yeah. written out that, that come to us after the session. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of data to kind of pick over and go, actually, I think that that's definitely okay, even though one of four wasn't as keen as the other three. Wow. Yeah. Or we can just put it back to a different panel yeah. uh, just to see, um, oh, okay. get a double check. Uh, uh, there's an issue with it. Um, it might also be that um, one of us in the, uh, or a few of us in the whiskey team decide to, you know, uh, try it then afterwards to then decide, do we want to put it back or is there genuinely an issue? I think there, there are certain off notes that, that clearly as soon as you see it being mentioned, that's a flag and you want to go and explore that um, uh, and then pick up. Uh, you'll know that some people are more sensitive to other to certain compounds. So mm-hmm. um, things like, for example, sulfur. Mm-hmm. In general, we would all say sulfur is a bad thing. Mm-hmm. But there are definitely whiskies you've tried that are on the sort of slightly eggy side of things, yes. like pastel yeah. donato or something like that. And you yeah. go, I kind of know what's going in there, but it's adding character yeah. and flavor. And certainly yeah. if you have that with a combination of a, you know which distillery it's come from, you kind of go, yeah, okay, that's character. That's, that's <laughs> yeah. what that is. Yeah, yeah, exactly. um, yeah. uh, so you have to have that, that, that judgment in there as well. Yep. Oh, well, yeah. we could keep going, right? We, we are whiskey geeks and we could keep talking away. But I, I just want to say, you know, we've, we've been on site for a few days. We've been meeting uh, many, many members uh, from our teas and have been welcomed uh, into the family here. And mm-hmm. it has been an absolute treat. So thanks to you two uh, most sincerely, but also to the rest of the team at, at our teas. Um, this has been One Nation Under... Class whiskey. Class whiskey. From the vaults in Edinburgh. Cheers, lads. <laughs> Cheers. You're very welcome. Cheers. Cheers. Once again, sincere thanks to Ewan and to Kai for their time, for their, their good humour, their good spirit, uh, giving us a peek behind the curtain on the tasting panel as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm glad we could return to that part of the recording and uh, and really enjoy it i you had recharged your glass uh, before we went into it i recharged my glass during it so Indeed. i'm happily sipping on a little more muscovado pipe tobacco <laughs> which is a great title i just love saying that so so lyrical yeah i i i know we need to get out of here but but i just wanted to to bring this up again you know, thinking back to uh, the earlier part of our conversation with Kai and Ewan, and Ewan just on the fly going about the weight of a sherry butt and the liquid inside. Oh, yeah. He says, yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, so yeah. if it's, you know, if it's 92% density and it's like, <laughs> and he's just like, boom, 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 boom. He's like, I hope that makes for good podcasting. That was brilliant. God, I loved that. <laughs> Uh, yeah, just as just as you're you're casting an eye backwards there, I'm I'm thinking myself about my induction to the keepers, mm. and at our table mm-hmm. was Kai. Yes, and and at the end of the night, got to share a couple of words with him, and he uh, he handed over his business card and it said, "Hey, you guys need anything? Don't hesitate to reach out." <laughs> that was what October, October of twenty twenty two. 22? That was 22. That was 22. See, see, there we go. You you got me back on the 22. I would have said 21 (laughs) for that. So here we are. Um, And and so here we are now, 
you know, colleagues, sharing a parent company. Mm-hmm. Like, it's amazing uh, the direction life can go yeah. uh, when yeah. you're receptive to, to various opportunities. So, yeah, um, yeah what, what a blast. What a brilliant time. What a wonderful time. Our time in Edinburgh, our time in Kentucky, mm-hmm. uh, at the icons. Like, here's to, here's to what's next, Joshua. Indeed. Well, to you, to the listener, to Kai, to you, and to Jess, to Steve... And I'm going to leave it there because that's the most incomplete of lists because there's nine To the nation and the listeners. To the nation and the listeners. Cheers, everybody. (laughs) And mine was better than yours. (laughs) One One elephant, elephant, two elephant, elephant, three three elephant. elephant. Four elephant, elephant, five elephant. elephant. Very good. I came and went. Hmm? Some I took off a nanosecond, some I added a nanosecond. But I think See, it'll all come out. When it's just you and me, I can just watch your lips and <laughs> fantasize. <laughs> That's exactly where I thought this was is going. He gonna, is he going to wet him? Is he going to wet his lips? Wet them? Yeah. One elephant. <laughs> two <laughs> two <laughs> elephants Three elephants Yeah Yeah <laughs> You made it gross that, that explains why Haida was asking for my elephant impression last week <laughs> I said impression <laughs> <laughs> Do you remember what you did on your eighth birthday? Do you remember your eighth birthday? Um, potentially, potentially. I may have got some red Chuck Taylors and then okay. gone for a Chinese dinner with my mum and dad wearing my red Chuck Taylors. Ah, okay. Yeah, my parents got divorced that year. Um. <laughs> oh, not that day, though. <laughs> not, oh, no, year. thankfully, not on no. that day. Way to, way to make it about you. It, it, we- <laughs> Technically, you have a birthday every year. If they were going to get divorced, it was going to be a year where you had a birthday. Yeah, it's funny. I don't remember my eighth birthday. What would I have been into in 1981? It would have been Star Wars. It would have been some sort of punk rock thing. For sure. We've missed a connection. I don't know what the connection is. This is the eighth season of One Nation (laughs) Under Whiskey, Jason. (laughs) Hello, oh listeners. Hello, everybody who's well, joined thank, us. Thank God it's not getting any less tortured. So, okay. Okay. <laughs> I didn't hear the theme song. I didn't hear the introduction. We no. just, we just what did you do for your eighth birthday? Well, you licked your lips. You got it all, got it all ready. I figured we ready to go in. Right? Is this thing on? <laughs> not sure I'm liking this change for year eight. <laughs> Year eight intro, make Jason as uncomfortable as possible. (laughs) Have Jason question his entire existence. (laughs) Are we creating the Easter egg before we record the episode? (laughs) Uh, Yeah, who knows? Who knows what we'll do with this? Anyway.